0: up freaks. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC rip 416 416 That was number 16 in sports. I don't know 416 is a special number to any of you freaks out there but it's going to be a special number to me because I just recorded another episode with Whitney Webb. You can get her book now, One Nation Under Blackmail. Talked a lot about this banking crisis that's unfolding jamie diamond how he got to where he is at jp morgan and how uh we're being cattle herded into a digital panopticon it's not fun not fun top four boosts from rip 415 coal is the future with steve barber apatar eight thousand eight hundred eighty-eight sats eights across the board palindrome boost technically steve is a total stud carbon dioxide is vital to life and bitcoin hashers are one hundred percent battery free i don't see any fake news in that in that boost right there thank you patar at letter 6173 7777 sats sevens across the board another palindrome boost thank you all for the hours across all the years thank you letter 6173 for the boost (coughs) excuse me at cryo sats 5000 sats boost Thank you for the boost, CryoSats, at RGBTC, 5000 sat boost. Even though you've called me a shit winner twice on Twitter, still got love from RDB. Steve is a brain Great show, gentlemen. Sorry for calling you a sh- I'm not sorry for calling you a shit corner. If you're shit corner, I'm going to call you one. It's descriptive, not. Stop shit coining. And we'll call you a shit corner. Logan, are you shit coining? No. I'm not. That wasn't very convincing. Um, Don't call me, because I'm, I'm not doing it. Okay, uh, not convinced. Don't shitcoin. You should mine Bitcoin. River makes it easy. With River Mining Services, uh, whether you're an individual or an institution, once wants to Bitcoin, maybe you're stacking sats, you're just buying, it's not enough for you, you want to mine as well. River has a white glove service for you. To mine, you can buy the ASICs, set up a hosting contract. River handles all that against white glove, professionally done. They've really dug into how to do this hosting the right way. There have been a number of people who have done it the wrong way. And obviously, we've had some of those advertisers on the show in the past. And so, when River said, Hey, we got some mining stuff, I had to dig in. I've dug in. I've done the due diligence. They're doing it the right way. If you want to mine Bitcoin, you can do it via River very easily. Get the ASICs, get the get the hosting contract set up. And they'll manage everything and you'll mine sats straight to your river account to set up a river account. Go to river.com slash TFTC. When you do sign up, you're going to get $20 worth of Bitcoin. It's a beautiful thing. Mining fees are going up. You can see this right now in the block clock. If you're watching the video, the average fees per block over the last 2016 blocks is 34.8 million sats which is significantly higher than it has been with all of this ordinals, this BRC-20. I don't know what's going on, but it's rising, jacking up fees. the Last day, uh, I just saw brains pool last two blocks they had, had more than one Bitcoin worth of uh, mining fees in the block. So revenue's going up. If you want to mine, hit up the team at River. com slash TFTC. I re- did lie, by the way. I do use one shitcoin. It's called the US dollar. All right. Don't ever lie to me again. Don't ever lie to me again. Logan. Or I'll get... You don't want me to get the switch out again. You don't want me to get the switch out again. I'm sorry. We have a very uh, old school way of disciplining the producers here at TFC. We beat them with a switch. And I tell Logan, if you tell anybody, If you go crying to the cops or something, it's not going to end well, Logan. I'll let you pick the switch this time, okay? The next time you lie to me. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a peaceful, free-loving, right, Logan? Yes. Okay. Totally right. Okay. If your freaks aren't careful, I'll get the switch out on you, too. You got to take care of your... (laughs) Your bitcoin your private keys your custody you gotta eliminate single points of failure and unchained right down the hall from where i am now at the at the bitcoin commons tftc studios logan just spilled some water on his keyboard because he's nervous i'm gonna get the switch and i'll get the switch out on you too if you don't take care of your your custody and eliminate single points of failure unchained has our vault two or three multi-sig you hold two keys unchained holds one you eliminate single points of failure you hold your own keys you have control of your bitcoin it's a beautiful thing they also have a trading desk If you want to buy bitcoin and send it straight to that multi-sig cold storage unchained makes it easy All right, he's definitely getting the switch now the, the paper is is coming in on the mic logan um buy bitcoin send it straight to multi-sig cold storage via unchanged trading desk they have a concierge team that will walk you through everything um, whether it's the Vault, the trading desk, they have an IRA product. If you want to transition your IRA to Bitcoin, hold your own keys. They have their lending desk. You want to use Bitcoin as collateral to get US dollars. It's a beautiful company. A Bitcoin bank. Done the right way. Go to Unchained like a, a, not technically a bank, just building financial services using Bitcoin's native properties the right way. Unchained.com, tell them the TFTC sent you. This work was also brought to you by good friends. At CrowdHealth, CrowdHealth is here to reimagine how you pay for your healthcare. It's not health insurance. Health insurance is notoriously opaque, expensive, impersonal. CrowdHealth is here to provide a better model, a more personal model, and a cheaper model. Uh, what it is a crowdfunded health You join the CrowdHealth community. They have a Bitcoin community. You pay a monthly fee. That builds up in a dedicated health account. If you ever have a medical uh, event and you go to the doctor and you get a bill, you bring it to CrowdHealth, they negotiate the price lower, and then... Uh, you pay the first $500 of that bill and it gets crowdfunded by the rest of the crowd health community. Again, they have a Bitcoin community. Um, after you start building up your dollar account, after a certain point, you will um, put a portion of your monthly payment into dollars and another portion into sats. So you can speculatively, speculatively attack your future healthcare costs. Go to join slash TFTC sign up. Me and my family were on it. We were on Cobra. It's way cheaper than Cobra. It's like a third of the price and we've, we've, paid many uh, bills with it, and we've helped crowdfund others' bills as well. It feels great to be participating in a sovereign healthcare model. Join crowdhealth.com slash tftc. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co. Uh If you're a company in the space looking to hire Bitcoin talent, you want a recruiting firm that actually knows Bitcoin and the nuances between multi-sig, lightning, mining, financial services, security, whatever it may be. That's what Bitcoin Talent Co. is. It's a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. Co-founder Andy built out the recruiting team at Uber and built that company into what it is today, the recruiting team at least. Uh, so he's got some experience. He knows what he's doing. Uh, so if you're a company, you're looking to hire people, go to Bitcoin Talent Co., bitcointalent.co, get onboarded. Uh, they will understand your needs and they'll, they'll go find the talent that is right for you. They're placing people at some of the best companies in the space right now. Alternatively, if you are in the tech sector, in the banking sector, in finance, you're a Bitcoiner, you feel like you're on an island, you're like that Andre meme where you're at the White House, you're shaking the gate, you're like, let me in, let me in, I don't know how to get in. Bitcoin Talent Co. is a great way to get into the industry, at least get your foot in the door. Uh, And then if you're up to snuff, to get a job in the industry as well. Go to bitcointalent.co when you onboard, whether you're a company or an individual Please tell them the TFTC sent you and enjoy this rip with Whitney Webb. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts? all,
1: all the central banks going nuts
0: So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor.
1: I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin.
0: If you're not paying attention, you probably
1: should be. Probably should be. You probably should,
0: be. Probably should be. Oh, we're live. Logan Ninja launched this. Yeah, Winnie and I were just <laughs> recording a podcast before hitting record, so we had to hit record because a lot of things are happening right now. We were just talking about censorship efforts. <laughs> in many countries Mm -hmm. you mentioned brazil they were trying to find google something like two hundred thousand dollars an hour if they allowed
1: that was telegram i think but yeah they were trying to bring google to heel as well and have them censor a bunch of stuff and as i understand it the whole censorship law debate in brazil is pretty insane because there was a lot of pressure from people in the supreme court people at the top level of their executive branch uh, pressuring people in congress to vote in favor of the bill um they forced google to censor um, well, forced, I say, I'm sure Google was probably on board for at least some of the censorship since they love to do that, but, um, uh, asked them to remove, uh, advertising that was, um, urging people to vote against the censorship bill and then had them uh, promote advertising in favor of it. I mean that, you know, it it was really over the top, but despite that it was rejected and then you have Bolsonaro's uh, house being raided uh, after it fails. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Brazil seems really insane right now. I'm glad I don't live there.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're using (laughs) the typical scapegoat of quote unquote propaganda to force google and telegram yeah. to do these things while they're
1: right but i think brazil is um you know it's the bee and bricks so they don't they want the right guy who's down for the game to be in charge of the bee and bricks right now right yeah. as we move to this like multipolar paradigm that we've talked about before that you know despite not you know being the other side of u.s empire and in, in the west which is corrupt too right Mm -hmm. You know, Russia, China and the BRICS countries are all just like the West on board for the SDGs and Agenda 2030 and all this stuff. And basically what that is about is the stuff that we're all supposedly against, like digital IDs, the CBDC, um, you know, turning the entire natural world into commodities and securitizing it. And under the guise of protecting the environment and all this other insane stuff, all these countries, whether it's BRICS or the, the U S and, and Britain and the EU are all on board for this stuff. So, you know, they need a guy that's going to play by the rules and, and push Brazil into that, into that world. Right. And uh, Lula is the guy that they've chosen for that. And it's very possible. Some sort of deal was made when Lula was in prison previously. Yeah. So like, yeah. we'll get you out of prison and get you back in power. If you do X, Y, and Z, I'm sure that was probably part of the negotiations there.
0: Yeah, like, all right. And,
1: uh, just yeah. get me
0: out of here. Give me the cushy job. Mm-hmm. But zooming out from Brazil, I mean, we were mentioning, it just seems like we're hitting a weird part of history where you have a, here in the United States, we yeah. have banks failing left and right. Uh, yeah, if- but
1: everything's fine. And it's nothing like, 08 even though it's clearly already worse than 08. Okay. In terms of the amount of like, you know, bank failures in terms of like what their assets were worth and stuff. I mean,
0: yeah, oh eight brought with it WAMU, which was the largest bank failure in U.S. history yeah, yeah. in 2023 has brought with it. I mean, after today, I imagine PacWest Corp is going to officially go under. So that will be four of the top five banks that have failed in U.S. history will be in the last two months.
1: Yeah, yeah. But hey, everything's fine, Marty. Um, the Fed's got it under control and we got to trust, uh, you know, Miss Janet and i <laughs> will be fine right, right? It, was,
0: it was comical yesterday jerome powell giving comments the banking system is oh. resilient and safe and two hours later the fourth largest bank failure in u.s history uh,
1: well just like a week ago wasn't Pac past uh Pac west Corp saying like oh yeah everything's fine and rosy and we look at we're attracting all of these customers from silicon valley bank now and like yeah, everything's rosy and then it's like oh actually we've collapsed <laughs> well
0: actually uh does anybody want to buy and i'm us? sure
1: yeah, does JP Morgan want to buy us? Um, yeah. Well,
0: that's a good segue into <laughs> what we originally, I mean, what we originally wanted to talk about is the rise of Jamie Dimon and a product of all these bank failures or a lot of them. Maybe JP Morgan won't get all of the banks that are currently failing. They'll get um, most of it. They've gotten a lot of it already. They got First Republic last week. Uh, and there's a lot of people saying they're probably going to get PacWest as well. And so it looks like we discussed this on your podcast, on Unlimited Hangout, with Michael Krieger a couple months ago, and we basically laid this out. It seems like there is somewhat of a controlled demolition of the regional banking system so that they can all roll up yeah. into the systemically important banks, of which J.P. Morgan is the biggest.
1: The two big-to-fail banks. Yeah. Yes. This reminds me of what happened under Nixon with agriculture and the agriculture secretary, Earl Butts. It was called this policy called Get Big or Get Out. You know, either become a giant industrial farm or we'll destroy you. And that was basically the end of, you know, the, the medium or small sized family farm in the United States. So this is sort of like that for the banking sector. And it's basically the logical conclusion of the too big to fail model. And I think what we're essentially seeing is the creation of two to three banks or one bank to rule them all at some point in the next, you know, 10 years, maybe less. Who knows? Depends on... And what's going to go on uh you know in the in the not so distant future but ultimately i think the goal is yeah to have the banking industry in as few hands as possible and those few hands are you know very down for CBDCs and all of this stuff, because, well, I'm I'm sure you've probably heard too, people are like, well, once the CBDCs are rolled out, they don't need the commercial private banks anymore. But if you actually are paying attention, there's a lot of stuff that's been coming out about how there's a a distinct plan already on the books, essentially, to maintain the two-tier banking system when the CBDC is rolled out. And that basically, you know, the Fed will issue the CBDC tokens, but the wallets will be managed by the commercial banks. Like yeah, the com-
0: Morgan. the commercial so. banks will be like the front end ui to the cbdc <clears throat> and that's a way socially yeah. for the fed the treasury whoever wants to bring the cbdc to send a social signal like hey we're somewhat separate so um yeah it should be okay so, with you guys
1: so the added level of this right is like the federal reserve itself and how much of fed policy is helping this goal of creating this increasingly small cartel of too big to fail mega banks. And the New York Fed, of course, is dominated largely by JP Morgan and Citigroup, both of which are intimately tied to Jamie Dimon, right? Um, And, I mean, I don't know, do you think those guys would uh, you know, pull some strings on the Federal Reserve system they dominate to, you know, change monetary policy to further their uh plans for control and you know, capturing the whole sector and dominating it? I think uh it's not that hard to figure out
0: well, that's... what may
1: be going on here. But you know I completely
0: know. agree. And I mean this goes back to one thing <clears throat> the whole it's doublespeak the federal reserve is not actually federal it is a private institution owned by yeah, yeah. commercial banks and i think that's i think many more people are aware of it uh over the last 10 years they have become aware of the fact that the fed is a private institution not actually a government institution but most uh, of the u.s populace is completely unaware and probably assumes that the federal reserve is part of the government and they don't recognize yeah. that it's actually a private institution yeah, like federal I mean.
1: express is part of the government yeah, yeah.
0: what was the airline um where they're running all the drugs in the 90s oh no,
1: southern the, air transport
0: no the it had america in the name i think um
1: oh air america
0: air america yeah
1: was that was good, southern air transport uh previously when pre- it was owned by the cia yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well directly owned by the cia they were still owned by the cia after yeah. <laughs> but it was a little more indirect
0: yeah but at that go, point going back to jp morgan i mean you wrote a piece at the end of march and i believe another between now and then
1: it's a series yeah so there's two pieces out
0: yeah mm-hmm. and so i guess jamie diamond's being vaunted as this genius banker who's <laughs> yeah. going to save yeah. the system okay. he'll, he'll yeah gladly take all the <laughs> bad banks up to jp morgan and make sure the financial he's so okay.
1: altruistic marty he just he just wants to help everybody. He's America's banker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's he's here to save us. But as you point out in your series, oh, there's a lot of weird uh, connections to people oh, we've totally talked about weird. in the past that have gotten him to the place that he's <laughs> yeah. at.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's nuts. I mean, I don't even know what to do. Like Bill Bill Gates just cares about your health. Jamie Diamond just cares about the little guy and his banking needs, and you know these guys don't care about power and control at all. You know, I mean, it's just so mental, uh, to me that there's people that like still buy that in today's society. Um, yeah, please, uh, get rid of your brain worms and start looking at, at reality <laughs> people because the, these guys did not claw their way to the top just to help the little guy. I mean, um, Well, where to begin with Jamie Dimon, huh? So I guess, um, I'll give a short summary and then we can go deeper. So basically, um, the reason I wanted to start writing about this is because I had some unexplored rabbit holes from the book I did that we've talked about, but I did mention in the book, right, that one of the people (laughs) that was instrumental in choosing Jamie Dimon was this guy, big time, Leslie Wexner crony, who had direct business links with Epstein named John W. Kessler. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> And so I mentioned that in Volume Two that Kessler was played a major role. Oh, thanks. Uh, played a major role in getting uh, Diamond installed as the CEO of Bank One, and of course, as CEO of Bank One, which Diamond was appointed to in you know the in the year 2000, uh, gets folded into J.P. Morgan Chase in 2004, which is also the same year that J.P. Morgan buys Glenn Dubin's uh, hedge fund. Glenn Dubin, of course, being another Klaus Epstein associate. Interesting um but basically uh you know after jp morgan but you know acquires bank one and it merges into the great blob that is jp morgan uh they decide that jamie diamond's going to lead the combined entity right so him getting installed at bank one puts him on the direct path to where he is today right mm. so who put him in charge of bank one. And what was Jamie Dimon doing before? Well, what Jamie Dimon was doing before was creating what is now Citigroup with his mentor, Sanford Weil, Sandy Weil. And they're credited with being one of the, you know, major banking teams that developed the too big to fail model and had an outsized role, mainly Sandy Weil in, you know, negotiating the repeal of Glass-Steagall because the Glass-Steagall Act prevented the consecration of Travelers Group, which was Sandy Weill and, and Diamond's company, uh, with Citibank, right? And in order to create Citigroup, they had to get Glass-Steagall removed.
0: And this was right? the Graham leach bliley Act that broke these two up, correct?
1: Which I think uh, actually happened under Larry Summers, right? And Larry mm-hmm. Summers, of course, a lot of Epstein ties that began before that act, you know, happened and before Glass Steagall was repealed. And at the time he was on, you know, hanging out with Epstein, provably in the '90s, his boss was Robert Rubin. Robert Rubin worked closely with Wild to develop that policy that later became the repeal of Glass Steagall. And, is, and then after he stops being Clinton's Treasury Secretary, is offered a very cushy job at Citigroup. Uh-oh. Anyway, before that, Robert Rubin was also the guy that signed off on Jeffrey Epstein's first visit to the Clinton White House. So there's a bunch of weird stuff going around there, you know, going on there anyway. Because right before then, right... Robert Rubin was head of Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs was intimately involved with Robert Maxwell's finances and his defrauding of pensioners uh, from the Daily Mirror and was facing court cases about all of that. And of course, Rubin would have been dealing with the fallout. And then the guy that's hanging around Ghislaine Maxwell and is sort of seen as this heir to Robert Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein, gets invited by Rubin to the Clinton White House and then gets involved with Clinton fundraisers. All very weird. So anyway, going back to Diamond, right? How did he and Sandy Weil start? Well, um, you know, they were, he, Sandy Weill had, you know, he was at Bear Stearns, then he made his own firm, and then he he works for American Express. And then uh, that's where he first hires Diamond, who uh, he had been friendly with Diamond's parents after the company he owned acquired Shearson, which is where Diamond's parents worked. And um he became at American Express executive assistant to Weill. And then Weill is forced out and Diamond is offered this choice of staying on an American Express or following Weill into the unknown, right? <laughs> and he chooses the latter. And so they look for a company to turn around and they pick this company called commercial credit corporation. And when I was actually looking into the history of diamond, that blew my mind because I like wrote a whole section about them and their parent company control data corporation in my book, uh, because control data corporation had all these weird ties to the Robert Maxwell network that are really disturbing and uh, commercial credit corporation was a company they acquired, uh, that was also tied up with a lot of these same intelligence networks I write in the book. And we can talk about the specifics of that if you want, um, at what? some point, but essentially they pick this company that's tied up with all these weird intelligence networks to build what is now Citigroup commercial credit corporation is the vehicle that was used to create what is now Citigroup.
0: Yeah, th- that's, that's mental. And I think it's important (laughs) to remind the freaks listening right now that Robert Maxwell, father of Ghislaine Maxwell, Uh, was was, uh, a Mossad agent essentially, with propaganda. Yeah, and, and, and also
1: us. had ties with the intelligence services of uh, the KGB, Bulgaria, which was, you know, part of the Soviet bloc at that time, um, allegedly British intelligence, and, I mean, but mainly Israel. Yeah, and so he was involved in a lot of things, like the Promise Software scandal, Iran-Contra, which are really sister scandals, they're intimately related, and you have a lot of ties to, you know, th- through people involved in the Promise, you have weird ties to Wexner and the Limited, um, and, of course, you know, Epstein pops up in some of this weird Iran Contra, um, you know, network and its activities, and we've we've discussed that at length before. So, um, no need no need to repeat necessarily, but it's it's pretty telling, I think, that this is the company that they chose, and it was Sandy Weil that he he claimed that he was approached by people at Commercial Credit Corporation to take over that company, but there's all these different accounts of why which to me sort of suggests that they you know there's at least one party that doesn't want the actual story told you know who really knows anyway they go on this acquisition binge over time and you know acquire things like smith barney and solomon brothers and become this giant blob uh called the Travelers Group and, you know, already talked about what happened since then. But after several decades of being, you know, San- in Sandy Weil's shadow, Jamie Diamond and him get into some sort of fight in like 1998 and Diamond is forced out. And then Diamond is in this position of, I don't know where I'm gonna go now. I've lost my my job and I'm not working with Sandy Weil anymore. And I don't know what I'm gonna do. And uh, th- that's where bank one comes in. So, um. You know, if I'm looking at this from like maybe even a a psychological angle, you know, what would they have offered Jamie Dimon uh, to have him be in charge of Bank One, right? Okay. Uh, You want to outshine your mentor? Do this for us, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be the top of Wall Street above Sandy Weil and Citigroup? Team up with us. That's what I suspect probably actually happened. And in my last article, I talked specifically about who was on the search committee that chose Damien Diamond. And it's a bunch of insane white collar criminals and like CIA cutout people or people tied to Wexner that did it. So those are the people that would have made that sort of deal with Diamond. And it's really not that surprising. But ultimately, you know, the broader picture here, um, if you... If we continue to allow Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan and the the people behind him to which he owes his current position to take control of our entire banking system, you are giving control of all money essentially in the United States to a a conglomerate of organized crime and insane intelligence agencies that want to enslave you. So um, this is very relevant considering today's events as it relates to the banking crisis, Um, because this series, which I'm hoping to continue, I really want to look at 2008, Epstein's personal role in the collapse of Bear Stearns um, and the role J.P. Morgan, you know, played in acquiring that and some of the stuff before and after. A lot of the oddities there have not, in my opinion, been properly examined. And it sort of seems to me that a lot of these efforts that have helped further the too-big-to-fail model, um, like the savings and loans crisis of the 80s, for example, um, mm-hmm. and the 2008 financial crisis, um, intentionally created crises uh, to basically consolidate control over the financial sector. And yeah. I think that's what we're experiencing right now.
0: Agreed. It, it, now that you lay it out like that, it makes perfect sense. As so you go back to Travelers Group, Citicorp, Graham Leach-Bliley, which repealed... Glass-Steagall, Glass-Steagall had a wall between the commercial banks and the insurance companies that allowed right. the mortgage-backed security market to completely explode between 2000 and 2007 to grow up, to get as big as it but was, they as knew systemic that would happen, as it was. Right. Exactly, so Bear Stearns <laughs> fails into J.P. Morgan, and um, so you can see the order of operations here.
1: Yeah, and like I said earlier, Epstein, Bear Stearns may not have collapsed if it wasn't for Jeffrey Epstein. That's insane in, the, in, in and of itself. Totally crazy story. But again, I, I prefer to talk about that once I have the, the article on it out. But if you, if you search for that, I mean, you can find inklings of, of what happened there. And it's very insane in the context of Epstein. What we know now about Epstein being this insane uh, white collar financial criminal that was very successful and involved in a lot of very shady financial dealings tied to intelligence. Um, and just like the savings and loans crisis of the 80s, um, which you know a lot of work has been done on that by people like Pete Bruton and others, it, it was pretty clearly the same deal. It was the CIA and a bunch of organized crime linked people and white collar criminals uh, coming together to basically empty out uh, and loot a bunch of savings and loans crises. And then the FDIC sells them off to a lot of these banks that later become the too big to fail banks. Like bank one, Specifically, the head of Bank One in that particular point of time is also listed as one of the pioneers of the too big to fail model, John B. McCoy. And uh, Bank One acquired a bunch of these savings and loan stuff and some of these, you know, other, you know, controversial banks from that period that had different collapses and stuff. And so, you know, it, it seems like. If they're teamed up, you know, these big banks, if they're teamed up with this particular network, they get preferential treatment about who gets to uh, buy these collapsed thrifts that seem to be collapsed by a mix of white color criminals in in the CIA for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Right.
0: And they're getting sloppy with it, too. Like, this year, particularly in the aftermath of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. It's so
1: in your face now. Yeah. I just don't.
0: You had Janet Yellen come out and say, you know what? We're probably not going to backstop all the deposits outside of the systemically important financial institutions too big to fit which she
1: decides in closed door meetings what those banks are
0: exactly and it's it's i mean it's insane what we're seeing this week what we've seen the last couple months with all these regional bank failures is completely predictable if they're going to posture that way publicly like what are people companies with assets with deposits at these regional banks going to do when Janet Yellen's like, we're not going to backstop you. They're going to flood to the Morgan. We're Morgans only going to back
1: you if you're at JP Morgan or one of these other mega banks. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's mental. Cattle, and that's, that's a, a deliberate herding.
1: policy. It's a deliberate policy to herd everyone into the arms of these mega banks that are, you know, going to be the custodians of the CBDC wallet. How convenient. Yeah. And
0: so what is the ultimate goal with the CBDC in your mind?
1: Well, I think it's all. All right. So Christine Lagarde, right. Um, was pranked by these guys that somehow are able to convince a bunch of people that they're actually Zelensky. They
0: got Jerome Powell too. I don't too. know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he, they got her to basically admit CBDCs are about control. Right. And then you have Augustine Carson's uh, saying essentially the same thing.
0: Yeah. For, and he's head of the BIS, the yes. central
1: bank of central banks. So you have the ECB, and the BIS agreeing it's about control. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what's actually going on there. Yeah, Augustin uh, Carson's
0: came out with a, a clip, I believe it was two or three years ago now, but he essentially like CBDCs will give us complete control over the money, who can spend, yeah. who has what money, where you can spend it. So ever- what we're
1: having are two parallel things going on. There's this push to digitalize everything, yeah? To get all of the money, no more cash, it's all online. Yeah. The whole economy has to go online. Everyone has to go online for for work and this and that. There's this push to make everything exist in the digital realm as part of the four IR, the fourth industrial revolution and all this stuff. Right. And at the same time, we are having on the the flip side, a concerted push by governments around the world to uh, completely control the digital realm. So the censorship stuff we were talking about earlier is part of that but there's also these big efforts to end uh financial anonymity to end uh just privacy online have your gov- your internet activity or your social media accounts tied to a government-issued id right
0: yeah it's, so uh... if
1: everything's online and you're you're not allowed to participate in the economy unless you're online and that entire online environment is completely surveilled, including all your financial transactions. This is about an uh, an insane new surveillance paradigm. And I would say too, keep in mind, this isn't just about surveilling, you know, what you do in the present moment or what you've done in the past. This is using all of that data from past and present, feeding it into AI and using it to predict if you'll engage in uh, naughty behavior in the future.
0: Pre-crime minority report here
1: totally so you don't even have to actually engage in anything the state says is bad anymore they'll be like this person might engage in something the state thinks is bad
0: yeah and you see you see this light nudging this creeping of this apparatus not only in the banking system but I flew out of Newark Airport a couple months ago and the new terminal that they just redid I believe it was Terminal A or something like that to get to security you have to get a face scan like you can't you
1: literally can't walk through yeah so tsa is going there now um and are probably going to make it so the only way you can get through tsa security is if you surrender your biometrics so now it's like oh yeah you can only get in the fast lane if you do it like when, when i was in the states last year i saw that at a few airports so
0: it's not at newark it's not even the fast lane it's just to get into general security you have to scan your face and then has one of those opening doors and then you can go through the door and then you can go yeah. through security. So
1: I've had to fly into Miami a couple of times in the past three years and they, they require a face scan too, just to get into the U S yeah. as, as part of the, you know, the whole deal. Yeah. So yeah, it's coming. It is. I, I would argue it's really already here. A lot of it. Um, You know, I was just uh, recently reading about how basically AI is in control of, like, most of the money right now through BlackRock's Aladdin thing. Um, You know, that's mental. I wasn't really aware of that, so I'm going to have to study up on that before I can properly talk about it. But that's really crazy to consider when you consider how many assets, like, how many trillion dollars in assets BlackRock manages. And they've given, like, AI a bunch of control (laughs) over it, like.
0: Well, that's, I mean, right. you could argue that it's been around for a while, like high frequency trading. I mean, you could
1: argue Yeah, most, that- most definitely. Yeah. But as this AI stuff advances, you know, you had a guy, for example, Joshua Browder, the do not pay guy, who's all about like, yeah, AI lawyers for traffic tickets and stuff. He's like, yeah, so I gave chat GPT complete control over my finances and look how much money it saved me.
0: Yeah. And going back to <laughs> our conversation idiot, with dude. Michael Krieger, like <laughs> what many people don't realize is that OpenAI founder Sam Altman, he's also the founder of Worldcoin, where they're scanning people's yeah, irises uh, around the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, scan, scan your, give us your eye scan, and we'll give you some free Worldcoins. What a creepy dude! And then of course his partner in OpenAI is Elon Musk. Well, so. the,
0: ju- the justification <laughs> I was actually talking to somebody about it yesterday, and the justification uh that this person i was speaking with believes will be rolled out is you need the biometric iris scan to prevent uh bot spamming from the ai to literally be able to discern between when you're interacting with a human and an ai and so they're saying to do that you need
1: this biometrics
0: data to be secure
1: yeah this this reminds me of this argument that elon musk makes where it's like yeah we all have to get a brain trip or we'll be enslaved by ai okay
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> not really buying it how about we just make a new internet or like <laughs> stop using it as much for everything agreed um i don't think it's really i need to i don't really think i need to give these people uh, what my eyeballs look like no considering what they want to use all this stuff for like yeah. i'm not interested in feeding that system Oh. Well, I had a, a unlimited Hangout contributor actually um, tell me to stop sending uh, when I pay them for articles to not pay the way I had before because they had to, in order to access their money at Santander, uh, they had to surrender biometric information what? to be able to access their own money at the account. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're really picking it up, right? And JP Morgan, right? Has rolled out pilot stuff for face scans, face scan pay, uh, hand scan pay, which Amazon is also rolling out, right? But what happens when J.P. Morgan says, yeah, so now that uh, thanks to Janet Yellen and the current banking crisis, everyone in the country has basically put their money with us. We've decided to do away with credit cards, debit cards, and cash. And from now on, the only way you're going to be able to pay is with your face or with your palm.
0: Yeah, it's it's coming
1: this is what happens when you give these guys complete control so you know if you're going to put your money with jp morgan out of fear that is the future you are building uh do not do what janet says and take your money out of the too big to fail banks and find another way uh to secure and and guard your wealth that doesn't involve these crazy people
0: well that's a very please important, that's a very important thing to <laughs> highlight because that's one thing i think yeah we've learned as a society in the aftermath of covid the economic lockdowns the uh, vaccine mandates is they use fear and they create this false frame totally from which you have to operate and now they're doing it with the banking system it's like if you don't go here you're going to lose all your money um and they're trying to box you into this frame that they're putting forth but it's not the the only option that you have obviously we have bitcoin um, in other ways mm-hmm. of securing your sovereignty, would you talk a lot about buying land, growing your own food, becoming as sovereign as possible. And that's one thing that I think you're yeah. doing a really good job of. And we just need to keep beating the drum is like, do not reject their frame do not fall into do not do what
1: janet says it's yes. that simple do not do what larry fink says do not do what jamie diamond says all of these people are insane and it's not a good policy if you want to live a happy life and and be free to listen to insane people and do what they say i'm just you know no, i, I, I mean, feel like that's common sense but well it's literally
0: <laughs> the definition of insanity because these people have been telling us they have the solution for decades now and they've only led us to the situation where things seem to be worse than they've ever been before.
1: Yeah. And, and people that claim this is just incompetence. Uh, that's not true. That's not true. This is not incompetence and the incompetence excuse they've gotten away with so much. Oh, well we just screwed up. You know, I'm sure when everything gets really crazy, Jerome Powell, will just be like, Oh, I'm a dummy, you know, and not be like, yo, yeah, I actually, I, I, you know, we kind of collude with the big banks that own us. Right. Well, um,
0: and that's one thing I think you highlight that makes it very hard to argue that it is incompetence and not some form of malice is how s- yeah. relatively small the circle of influence is it to is get small. these people in these positions to roll out this plan.
1: Yeah, most definitely. It is a small circle. Like so, you know, like I said, the reason I um part of the reason I was writing about the rise of Jamie Dimon is because, you know, I had this this known Wexner link to him being selected. To, the, to head bank one, uh, and because of the JP Morgan Epstein case that's going on right now, right? From the US Virgin Islands, that's sort of being, uh, you know, heard in New York. Um, I was like, well, maybe I can find something when I look into this, you know, weird Wexner Epstein guy that was involved uh, in installing Diamond in that position as, you know, what became You know the head of how he became the head of jp morgan chase basically and dude you know i mean i talked a little bit about it you know earlier but i mean it's even crazier than that because i didn't even get into like bank one and wexner um or some of these other guys there but i mean it it it's a pretty small circle and um a lot of these powerful individuals. Well, you have Wexner on the one side, but one of the most instrumental families, aside from the Wexner clique that got Jamie Dimon installed is uh, the family I talk about in in part two of the series that's up right now, uh, the Crown family. And James Shine Crown is uh, the guy that was the most vocal advocate for getting him on. And Lester Crown, James Shine Crown's father is basically responsible for Obama's presidency and his Senate career and basically him being like a big guy. Right. And of course it was Obama whose cabinet was chosen essentially by bankers at Citigroup and, um, you know, the wall street banks during the occupy protests, right. That chose his cabinet for him.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And in all that chaos
1: going on and all that Mm -hmm, chaos, they're using
0: the fear and the propaganda to essentially have the populace beg for that. Um, that sanity, that control
1: mm-hmm, so here's the other thing about James shine Crown still today he's on the board of J P Morgan still after he he was on Bank one right and then had Diamond put in at bank one with these Wexner guys and then um uh after j P Morgan takes over Bank one goes on from Bank one to j P. Morgan to be on the board of the combined entity along with Kessler the Wexner Epstein guy um And uh, since then, he's been the chairman of the Risk Policy Committee at J.P. Morgan. How interesting. So, you know, the Risk Policy Committee, right, are going to be the people who develop the policies that prevent, you know, crime from happening at the bank, right, or things that shouldn't happen from happening at the bank, preventing the bank from engaging in illegal activities, things like that. And he's been called to resign multiple times for things like the London Whale fiasco, Mm -hmm. because apparently he sort of allowed that to happen, which is odd, right? And then, of course, you have JP Morgan's role in in things like creating the 2008 crisis and all of this other stuff. And what we know now also allowing Epstein to operate there, even though top executives uh, at JP Morgan joked about his interest in underage girls and he was sending nudie pics of people at the bank and you know uh, not of himself of girls uh and you know talking to a top banker there just stally about what disney princess he'd like to meet next and all of this stuff yeah james shine crown huh Uh, Some great risk policies he's developing. I wonder why he's still there. Oh, wait, you know, maybe it's by design that this guy's there. Because when you look into his family, I mean, they basically uh, run Chicago along with the Pritzker family. And Thomas Pritzker has been subpoenaed as part of the J.P. Morgan Epstein case. Interesting. Along with the head, uh, the co-founder of Google, Sergey Brin, and uh, Mort Zuckerman, a top real estate guy in New York and a big figure in the Israel lobby, and uh Mike Ovitz who used to be a president of Walt Disney yeah
0: and that's I mean going back to this JP Morgan case around Epstein and the Virgin Islands another important thing to highlight here is that the AG who brought this case forward got immediately fired she did um for filing it what and their administration billionaires that's
1: mm mm-hmm it should be pretty clear to people that this case has a very different flavor than anything that SDNY did when they went after Epstein himself or Ghislaine Maxwell. They're subpoenaing billionaires that had like are important people as part of an investigation and court case about Jeffrey F. Epstein's sex trafficking activity.
0: And so that's another thing yeah. like to bring up now, like while all this is very orwellian it's very scary it's very daunting it does seem like things are unraveling a bit like we had was it new york times the wall street journal like calling out names like wall street journal wall street journal calling out like noam chomsky and other this former cia director uh that met with epstein and it seems like there's like a crack in the uh, the solidity of this cabal or group where things are leaking out or is this like a limited hangout where they give us some information we'll have yeah. some people and then just keep going the merry way
1: so i think the wall street journal thing is probably a limited hangout they claim to have a trove of documents thousands of pages not just of the private calendar right and schedules but emails they haven't publicly released any of it they haven't said who gave it to them right so there's a lot of question marks about that in my opinion and i think um Uh, So there's two pieces from the Wall Street Journal about these documents. The newest one came out today, and it's all names that we've already heard tied to Epstein. Larry Summers, uh, Woody Allen, Reid Hoffman, Glenn Dubin, Bill Gates, right? You know, these aren't really new names. Uh, for people that have followed the Epstein case. Now, the one that came out on Sunday that had like Chomsky, for example, had some names that were uh, new, like William Burns, former CIA director, former head of the Carnegie Endowment, former deputy secretary of state under Obama, um, which is apparently when those meetings were taking place when he worked at the State Department, which is interesting. Uh, Because I talk about in my book how Epstein had this weird tie to the State Department in the early 90s. And then there's this weird controversy, uh, and I I didn't end up including it in my book because there was some questionable stuff about it, but it was circulated for a long time. This idea that um, a State Department plane and a plane Epstein owned shared a tail number, Um, and that was in like the late 90s. Very odd to say the very least, but, you know, again, uh, there was some questionable stuff there. So, you know, I I didn't include it in my book, but the early stuff in the 90s definitely is true. He was given... uh, the right to occupy residences that had been seized by the state department. Like one of them was a former Iranian, like Iranian consulate and he was renting it out. And, you know, uh, I mean, just totally weird and apparently had some weird relationship with the secretary of state under bush senior uh James Baker. So, I don't know and then he's meeting with a top guy at the state department later on. And then of course the current secretary of state, you know, his the guy that raised him is Samuel Pisar, who was Robert Maxwell's best friend and the uh, confidant and lawyer. So, uh, it seems like the state department loves to hang out with these guys. Uh, it's not really that surprising because you know Hillary Clinton was in charge of it for a while and she obviously moves in these circles. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely some weird stuff, um, you know, going on there. And uh, then you had, you know, mentions of uh, a guy that is a top guy at Kissinger's consultancy firm, which is interesting. You have the mention of Noam Chomsky. Um, again, interesting. But, you know, I wouldn't paint. I, I just wrote an article that came out yesterday about the Chomsky and Epstein revelations. And it's not, you know, I wouldn't say Chomsky was necessarily an Epstein crony. And what I argue in the, in the, in the piece is, is more that, you know, if you look at the arc of uh, Chomsky's career, he's made a lot of compromises over time. And I think by the time he got a lot older, he made a lot more of those kinds of compromises. So the first one I cite, right, is that, you know, he in his early career took a lot of military funding, Chomsky. And then he became an an anti-war activist. And as part of that, considered resigning from MIT, which is like a very intimately tied to the military industrial complex, very intimately tied, probably more than any other university in the country. Right. And so he decided to stay there because it gave him a platform to espouse that activism. And that's an understandable compromise. You want a platform so it it reaches more people and and whatever. okay? so, you know, I'm not going to crucify you for that. But it seems like those types of compromises he continued to make and made a lot more of them once he was a bit older and potentially less radical, I don't know. Because how else would you justify meeting with someone like Jeffrey Epstein and Woody Allen (laughs) and stuff? So anyway, Uh, the reason Epstein wanted to talk to Chomsky, by the way, was all about artificial intelligence. And uh, Epstein had openly talked about this in an interview he gave in 2017, uh, which the Wall Street Journal did not include. So. Um, just more indications that they left out a lot of information that could have given important context, including about like Ehud Barak example, another name that comes up in this Wall Street Journal stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they declined to mention that he spent the night at the apartments owned by Epstein's brother where all these traffic girls were housed and was seen there super frequently all of the time when he it's... was visiting New York.
0: Yeah, That's
1: not Epstein's residence. That's where the traffic girls were housed
0: yeah and this is the former prime minister of israel for of israel
1: well he's not just a former prime minister of israel he's also former head of israeli military intelligence and a former defense minister of israel as well so and he was head of israeli military intelligence during the iran contra affair and when robert maxwell was doing the promise software stuff for israeli military intelligence um yeah so i mean Ehud Barak probably met him before 2003, as he claims. Um, Just like, you know, Bill Gates claimed that he met Epstein in 2011 as bunk. It's hard to believe what these people say about the relationship with Epstein when there's, you know, indicators that seem to point to an earlier meeting, right?
0: Well, that's, I think that's a smoking gun in all this too, particularly with like the Wall Street Journal revelations that all these very powerful people you can give them the benefit of the doubt if they did meet jeffrey epstein early on in their lives and or early in the 2000s late 90s whatever before he was convicted for these crimes but anybody who met him after yeah. 2013 when he was released from prison and knew what he was involved in that's like a smoking gun it's like hey you knew he was sex trafficking yet you were courting him and meeting with him many times throughout yeah the years.
1: well that's like the thing that really bothers me about like not just the revelations about the Chomsky meetings, but what Chomsky said about it. He was like, well, first of all, he goes, it's none of your business or anyone's. And then he's like, oh, and I met him and uh, I knew him and met him occasionally. It's a weird response. Instead of Similar being to like, Bill Gates. Oh, like no, it's even it was even more like rude, I guess you would say than than Bill Gates, who had like a spokesman being like, oh, well, we met for dinner and this and that. He wasn't like, it's none of your business. I mean, that, that's a weird response. Personally.
0: Well, I'm I'm thinking of uh, think. the interview Bill Gates did, like last year, the year before where he was pressed. Oh, on he's it, dead on TV. and it's he's fine. <laughs> dead now. It's fine. Like you can wash your hands. He's dead.
1: Yeah, well, Chomsky, what, the thing that I, I wanted to mention is that he said, oh, well, I met with him because he served his time and, and per U.S. norms and laws that yields a clean slate. And that, to say that means you're completely ignorant of the whole scandal that broke in 2019 about the sweetheart deal.
0: With Barr, Barr yeah. was included in this, right?
1: Well, so the sweetheart deal was before William Barr was attorney general. Barr was, involved, was attorney general when Epstein died and was arrested the second time. But okay. the sweetheart deal, right, the time served that Chomsky's referring to there is for his, his first arrest and sentencing, which was around 07, 08, right? and um as part of that there was this sweetheart deal that was arranged and for people that remember a few years back alex acosta who was secretary of labor under trump arranged that when he was u.s attorney in miami
0: that's what it was Acosta. and he
1: said he signed off on that because he was told to back off of epstein because epstein belonged to intelligence So somehow Chomsky is completely ignorant of that. And I don't really know how that's possible because all the scandal that came out with the Miami Herald reporting and Julie Brown and all of that was all about the sweetheart deal and how Epstein didn't really have time served, (laughs) right? and then um, his
0: his lawyer was that Harvard professor what's his name um, Alan Dershowitz Alan Dershowitz one
1: of them he had several defense lawyers who helped orchestrate the sweetheart deal and right before he was due to be sentenced Epstein went to tour military bases in Israel how bizarre is that um definitely what someone awaiting sentencing for sex trafficking would go do i'm going to go to Israel and tour military bases um before my sentencing hearing okay
0: yeah, I'm gonna go check in Bizarre. with my, my bosses at Mossad, and uh, I'll be back in a few years.
1: <laughs> eh, but he came back right away, and it was probably because he was very sure that there was going to be some sort of lenient sentence, and there was. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have stayed abroad, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all so overt, yeah. not in the open. You think? So you?
1: But Chomsky's ignorant of that, by the way. One of his meetings was with was with Epstein and Ehud Barak. So
0: yeah and Woody Allen when he was pressed on the Woody Allen stuff he was like hey I had a great dinner with a great artist he's a
1: great artist yeah, yeah. not a guy that uh abuses uh kids uh of uh, you know the adopted daughters of his uh girlfriend and then marries one of them yeah
0: man. um it's also disgusting
1: are you yeah, totally
0: are you optimistic that people are waking up to this
1: oh man I mean I think, again, the mainstream media stuff on Epstein is, like, super managed to divert people, uh, you know, on a path that is completely meaningless. So, again, like, you know, it's this sort of, like, Bill Gates narrative. Well, Epstein's dead, uh, and people are like, oh, well, I only met with him because he had money and all this stuff. Like, no. No, dude.
0: (laughs) A lot of you
1: didn't meet with him because of that. But at the same time, in independent media, just because you met with Epstein doesn't mean you're a pedo either, right? Because this is a guy that was a big-time, like, white collar financial criminal shadow banking guy so you know he he had many hats so again mainstream media being like um epstein was only a sex trafficker i don't think is fair right and then uh, that of course helps protect all the stuff like the jp morgan stuff i talk about in my series right all those connections and why, you know, JP Morgan might've allowed Epstein to use their bank for all of these purposes while they openly knew about it. And you know they're trying to protect the system. Right. And trying to make him the scapegoat for everything bad. Now that he's dead. Yeah. You know,
0: no. And if you think about it, like the, the sex trafficking was only a, one of the tools in his belt where they used it for blackmail, totally. and then you had the power yeah. broken going on in the financial system as well. Which maybe yeah, some people got yeah. caught up in the sex trafficking and the pedo ship, but not everybody.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So again, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems uh, when it comes to just talking about the Epstein scandal. But for me, you know, I think the Epstein scandal is important because it has large public interest and helps lead people. If you look at it on a deeper level, like I try and do in my research and in my books, it, it helps you see how power really functions in the United States and beyond. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what the discussion really needs to be about at the end of the day. So, you know, uh, and even the fact that like Epstein was murdered and everyone knows it. I, I mean, it's just a meme, right? Epstein didn't kill himself. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, as a society, what what we did with the fact that this guy was openly like offed in prison, even Alan Dershowitz doesn't think Epstein killed himself without help. Right. I mean,
0: I mean, <laughs> literally, um, you can use physics to prove that the bed sheet that he apparently hung himself with would not have killed him. Like, he would have ripped that. It,
1: yeah. I mean, I know, it's just... Anyway, what we did with that obvious thing is that we turned it into a meme, and that was it, right? Um, and honestly, when I look at U.S. Poli- like politics and like media discourse today, I feel like if Joe Biden like crapped himself on stage, slapped a baby, or did like the most insane crap in the world, no one would like bat an eye anymore. Like even people that hate him, it would just be like memed, and then like nothing would happen. Well, that's and a- I think but isn't that true I mean think about it like do a thought experiment Uh, and be like what would happen if if Joe Biden did that stuff
0: well I've got and that's like the
1: president of the United States dude I've got
0: a I've got a personal Joe Biden story for you I was home in Philly a couple months ago
1: oh wow! my
0: family went to uh a nice French restaurant in the city to go to brunch and we sat down and Joe Biden Hunter Biden the whole family shows up to the restaurant it was very odd because you think president of the United States shows up to one of the busiest restaurants in Philadelphia. He'd go around, shake hands, kiss babies, like give a little like tour, media tour to show that yeah. he's one of the people. They just went, sat down, ate and left. Like they didn't even, like, I think it was because-
1: Runaway. <laughs> his
0: handlers knew Maybe. that like he's not competent enough you where know, the he's facilities are be aren't running. There.
1: He's supposed to say he's going to be running in 2024, but the DNC is like, yeah, we're not doing primary debates. Does yeah. no one realize how insane that is?
0: It's completely insane. Well, that, and that's the other thing. Yeah, like-
1: but I mean, it doesn't even shouldn't that be a huge talking point on mainstream media? The DNC is not going to have any debates and the, yep. uh, the Republicans are going to have like 12 and the, G, the DNC is going to have zero. Yeah,
0: everybody's just like hey, let's not talk about that and but it's the,
1: like it's fine that's all i'm saying the, the dude could like slap a baby in the face or like try and curb stomp a baby and like nothing would happen they'd just be like oh uncle joe
0: well do and, you think and
1: that'd be that <laughs> do you think
0: they're playing two games here though they're like they have two options one is like all right we're going to try and force joe through but if his health is deteriorating at an increasing pace we need a backup plan so did you see the fbi whistleblower that came out yesterday
1: Oh yeah. About the pay to play thing with a foreign national. Yeah. But the Clintons are all about play to play. The DNC is, is the play to play part. Well, not that Republicans don't do it. I mean, they all do it. Right. But the DNC with the Clintons are just like, everyone knew that was happening, especially with the Clinton foundation. Like it's proven, you know, and nothing happened. So you don't think
0: anything will come from this whistleblower?
1: No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think it'll just be a Fox News talking point, right? And they'll be like, you know, it, it's it's like what happened during the Obama administration. Fox News is screaming about Obama and everything he did, and then like everyone else doesn't care, you know? And they're just like, Oh, that's Fox. Yeah. And then when it's the other way around, it's like, oh my God, Trump You know? <laughs> I mean, it's just this retarded media dialect. I hate it so much. I do. As uh, well. Because it, it it it's it's just keeping uh, anything productive from ever happening. And, uh, the American people are being completely looted and, and pillaged and having their standard of living destroyed. And, and, you know, we're arguing about, you know, stuff that doesn't matter. It's, uh, I mean, I get really frustrated about this stuff because, you know, uh, just even in my work, I'm like, shouldn't people care more about some of this stuff? And not just even my work, but the work of other people that like, showcases a lot of the crazy stuff going on with people at the top. Well, you know,
0: maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm too optimistic, maybe I'm too much of an eternal optimist, but I do think independent journalists like yourself are making a material impact. And I do think
1: Well, I hope la- so, right?
0: Yeah, but... and I do think what happened last week with Tucker was like a big awakening moment for a lot of people like holy shit, it took Tucker off. Like what else is going on? And I do you think like the Taibees, yeah. the Greenwalds, yourself are beginning to garner more attention and more um more authority in terms of like journalists that that are out there yeah, that people well, are actually reading and listening to
1: well i think you know mainstream media is shit and everyone knows it at this point well at least most people know it and so you know they're looking for other places to find information and i mean that's positive the question is like you know, are people just gonna binge watch videos all day? Or are they gonna start actually doing something about it in their lives, you know? Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what it's gonna have to, you know, end up coming down to if people are gonna, you know, uh, make any difficult choices. Because like I've said, a lot of times, I think people have become so accustomed uh, to comfort and not really having to do anything in terms of like politics, because we've been trained as a society to outsource everything to other people, right. It's to a corporation. To the government, whatever. And so, you know, that's why we have this sovereignty crisis, right? Because people have been trained or society has been created so that we don't really have to take personal responsibility for most of our lives and our needs.
0: Yeah. You know, no, no, no.
1: and so we have to make that change. And again, I think the most important way to show people to make that change is that you should not be validating the current system at all. Instead, you should be divesting from it and putting your money and time into building a new system. So, if you're going to vote in 2024, uh, I see it as you know you're essentially validating that system, yeah, right? Well, because they're not going to let RFK Jr. get the win the DNC nomination, and you know, I, whoever the, gets installed as a Republican guy. I, maybe they'll be better than Joe Biden is, but by how much, right. Can we really afford to keep going down this hole? We're going down to like, you know, insane, tyrannical fuckland. land. Like I'm just no, because it, you know, if all the independent media discourse between now and the 2024 election is about who to vote for, we're screwed. That's how I feel. And, right. and we'll be squandering a lot of this awareness.
0: I completely uh, agree. That's
1: happening around people. Yeah. That's
0: that's why we need to highlight things like Bitcoin, the sovereignty movement, supporting your local ranchers, local farmers, figuring out how to grow a garden. But on that point, completely agree. Like that's what people need to wake up and realize we're less than a month away from the debt ceiling. The government is essentially insolvent is literally insolvent. It's been
1: insolvent, but now it's retardedly insolvent, Yeah, and And they can't kick the can down the road anymore. And that's where the CBDC comes in. Yeah. And that's, that'll be a bait and switch. That's
0: what people need to internalize. There literally is no way to vote your way out of this insolvency. It is structurally insolvent. There's no saving it from within. You need to create these parallel systems.
1: Yeah, because essentially um you know through the petrodollar system, the dollar is a global re- reserve currency which it's about to lose. That has sort of uh, granted the American public with a sort of subsidy and insulation from the actual cost of things to an extent. Right? That's going away. Yeah. Um Quickly. and then you have this yeah, and then you have this banking crisis stuff on the other side. And all, you know, the debt issue, you know. Is money print, are we about to see helicopter money (laughs) with the debts? I mean, how how insane is this going to get? It's obviously not a pretty picture, and people really need to start seriously thinking about what this means because shit's getting real, and the people that have led us here are creating a new system so they don't have pitchforks at their door in a year's time.
0: Well, I think that's a very important thing to highlight, too, is the people who have led us here are petrified. They may may not... Uh, show that publicly. of have Jerome Powell, Jamie Dimon, Janet Yellen, Joe Biden coming out. In well, the they last can't week. show
1: it publicly, right? Yes, they have yes. to be like, it's not oh the- eight Everything's fine. It's literally a confidence <laughs>
0: game. And so, for anybody out there yeah. listening who uh, thinks the government can solve this problem, you need to realize that they are petrified. They've realized they've screwed up the system beyond repair and they are not the ones to fix it. Like, you need to engender a sense of self-confidence that you have the facilities, the intellect, the ability to make a decision to opt out of that system. And I think that's one thing I actually had a conversation this morning. That's the most high leverage thing we can do as independent journalists, as individuals that see what's coming is really wake up that silent majority that has that feeling in their gut, that something is terribly wrong. Um, Historically they've depended on the government to fix the problem. Obviously it's led us to the situation they are not going to be able to fix the problem. They're only going to make it worse. Like getting to that silent majority that knows something's wrong and saying, Hey, there are other options. You don't need to depend on daddy state to fix this for you. In fact, they're only going to make it worse. Definitely
1: don't depend on the state because the way it's being set up is that you will be a slave forever. If you follow the state and look, are waiting for a handout from the state when things go belly up, they'll be like, okay, join our new slavery club you'll never escape and either will your children. Okay. I mean, if you're willing to sign off on that I and mean, they've already enslaved you before yeah. they've even rolled out their system, you know, yeah, but, if you're but, not willing to lift a finger to actually do something about it, you know, they they've, they've got you
0: yeah. already, but it really does feel like, and I know people have tried to call it many times in the past, but I do think I do have this gut feeling, this instinctual feeling that we have gotten to the point in the path where we're at the fork and we're, we're about to make the turn one way or the other. And it is, this is one of the most important times in human history is like, which way are we going to go? And that decision is going to be made in the next year or two.
1: Three. Right. Right. Because this isn't just an economic crisis, right? Um, like I said earlier, um, these guys have really bitten off more than they can chew. They're trying to do so much. They're not trying to just change the economy. They're trying to redefine what money is. I mean, that's really what the CBDC is all about. Um, they're trying to usher in this thing they call the fourth industrial revolution, which they define as a merging of our physical and biological cells with technology. It's transhumanism, right? And people that are futurists and transhumanists and you know, on for this stuff essentially say, this is about changing humanity. And as humanity as we know it will be gone in a hundred to 200 years. So this is like really an existential crisis if there ever was one because if we successfully are herded into the system we're creating uh, human sovereignty and humanity as we've understood it since humans have been around it will cease to exist are, are we really going to co-sign that like i just don't understand like are people really that lazy while well, they're like yeah okay well you know i mean uh netflix and beer as long as i have that it's cool i mean are we are we really just going to be stuck in that where they do this stuff to everybody
0: whitney you're such a you're such a luddite you know we need the chips it's our evolution (laughs) you're just scared of of technological evolution here yeah well
1: they call it evolution right but trans transhumanism is the new eugenics and it's explicitly so
0: the well, former head s-
1: of the British Eugenics Society came up with the term transhumanism and said this will be the new eugenics and 10 years before that when he was in charge of UNESCO at the UN he said we have to make the unthinkable thinkable again with respect to eugenics and he did that by coming up with this concept of transhumanism
0: and this is where you yeah. have like people like Yuval Harari going out there and being the front men to like uh, get people comfortable with this yeah. and pitch all of it but it's uh
1: harari's insane if you actually read what he writes about this stuff and he's talking about making a new religion around ai which is also stuff not just he's saying eric schmidt and henry kissinger who have teamed up to create the ultimate doom squad are also going around saying the same crap yeah it's either going to cause a revolution or ai will make a new religion what do you think they want to choose guys
0: uh well i mean I don't know how you think about this, but I think it's like overtly satanic, like demonic. Like there, there is like, so, tr- it's literally an, uh, an aversion to God. Like we are the gods now we're going to transmute humans into this new technology. Like we can do it. And it's very, if you're a Christian or Catholic, like myself, it's very, it's a, it's a very big affront to God.
1: Well, even if you look at it from a more like, um, you know, I guess non theistic view Mm -hmm. these people are very materialist right and so you know traditionally people view satanism as extreme materialism when you get into like actual the study of of like religion itself right you know it's materialism in in against spiritualism right and so like
0: hedonism
1: the most material the most material you can be right is is by some people at least sort of equated with Satanism, right? So, you know, basically if you're going to create an AI and say it's God now and make, you know, uh, it, it, I, I can see why people view it that way. It's, it's, let me go back to stuff Harari likes to say about this AI religion. He calls it dataism, or at least he has in the past. And it's, it's like saying, it's basically this idea of like, we need to put sensors on every living thing, whether they like it or not because we have to create this new, like, connectivity between all things. Okay, so if you're not an atheist or an extreme materialist, uh, even, like, indigenous religions from thousands of years ago, pre-Christian paganism, those connections exist already, right? So they're just trying to make an artificial, hyper-materialistic version of that, that they can create for themselves. And ultimately, they can control. So this is, you know, people trying to play God. And if, you know, if, if you want to go back to the the Satanist, you know, analogy, the whole idea of Lucifer, right, is him trying to be bigger than God, yeah. at the end of the day. So, you know, for Christians, I can see why they see it that way. Right. So, uh, you know, but a lot of people get turned off when like, you use that term, you know, and so that that's why I'm trying to sort of explain in these other terms, maybe that are helpful to sort of understand what a lot of these views are and why people might use those terms for it. Because if, you know, if you have that other understanding, it doesn't seem as, you know, as weird to some people that, that aren't, you know, religious. Right. So I I mainly say that because, you know, think about stuff going on in the eighties, the Franklin scandal broke, which is a real thing, but people sort of claimed, Oh, it's satanic panic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when people to a certain segment of the American population, when someone, says satanism they just turn off their brain you know what i mean
0: no so essentially
1: what you have yeah so you know to try and reach those people you know i tend to try and phrase it in in sort of different words that this is an effort to create basically divorce humanity from the spirituality that humans have had during, during Christianity, pre-Christianity, any religion really, even animism and stuff, you know, to divorce us from any sort of connection, not just to um, each other in the universe, but to the natural world as well, right? Um, and to basically recreate humanity in a way that serves them, I guess, at the end of the day. And And so much that is happening right now is about divorcing us from the natural world, you know? um, having us live in this digital realm and then going even deeper and living in the metaverse and all of this stuff. Right.
0: Neck down, Um, looking at your phone, swiping the reels. That's what they want.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think a big part of, uh, the system today is the smartphone and smartphone addiction and it's, it's impact on society. And I think if people can't imagine, Living without their smartphone, I think it's going to be very easy for people like that to be herded into this system. Yeah. Because they control the smartphone. I mean, even if you have like Graphene OS or a de Googled Android, which is definitely, you know, the only feasible thing, I think, you know, the, uh, to avoid using a big tech smartphone, which I definitely would. Consider people, or urge people, uh, not to use. But this, you know, it, the telecommunications companies, Verizon, AT and T, all of that. I mean, they're all part of this thing. So, like, you won't have internet access. You won't have data. Can you live without that? A lot of people can't. No. You know,
0: it's literally addictive. a lot of people
1: can't even live without like Twitter and TikTok and whatever. So, yeah, you know,
0: Ooh. fire fire hydrant
1: no oh fire okay i didn't know i thought for a second well we had an earthquake here last night so oh. like, i was like oh maybe that's on my end and something insane's happening yeah i was like at one in the morning it was only like four on the richter scale but it was like right near where i live so it was, did it wake uh, you up uh yeah a little bit the kids didn't wake up so that was helpful <laughs> i guess in a sense um yeah anyway sorry Maybe yeah. I've gone on some tangents here, but ultimately I think, um, you know, if you've become so invested in their technology that you can't imagine living without it, that technology, that addiction is what's being used to help herd you into this system. Right. And again, you know, to get us in there, if you imagine it sort of as like an animal pin a corral, right. Uh, how, they have two tools to get us in there. They have the carrot and they have the stick. Right, and the carrot is comfort and convenience, and so so much of this new stuff coming out right now, particularly in healthcare, that's either overtly or covertly transhumanist. It's it's convenience is almost always the sales pitch, right? Yeah. and I think that will be too of the brain machine interface. You know, like think oh, it. you'll just have your smartphone there. in your head now. How convenient! Yeah, right or I mean, even like face pay and paying with your palm, like JP Morgan's rolling out, how convenient. You don't have to carry a wallet anymore. No one can steal your money off of you. And you know, there's muggings will stop, <laughs> right? And then, you know, the stick is fear. So I think that's pretty clear, you know, yeah. do this or uh, you'll lose all your money, do this or we'll put you in camps, you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. There's, I mean, there's another theory out there too. digging into themes in the U S particularly right now that has sort of, I I sort of see how it could be real, which is that like this whole transgender movement and theme in the U S is, is a bit of a nudging towards the transhumanists because first they have to essentially destroy definitions of things that we know to be true, to create the possibility for us to be open to becoming transhumanist. First, it starts with like, ah, I could be a woman or a man or a zero or or whatever, um, and then it's like, yeah, I can be a computer. It's like somewhat of a normalization tactic to to lead us toward that.
1: Well, you know, the way it's 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 promoted, and you know, there are people who were transgender before it was being yes. promoted and popularized, right? So I'm Agreed. talking specifically about the people that if this effort to promote it and popularize it had never manifested, would probably not have identified as transgender. I think there's one of the reasons it's happening is because like you say, there's this effort to sort of uh, make people disassociate from their physical reality. Like they're disassociated from their physical body. They don't identify with their physical body, right? And so if you don't identify with your physical body, you know, from that point and probably part of why this is being targeted at at young people, um, it's much easier to be like, well, in this world, you can be whoever you want to be and you can change yourself all the time, like the metaverse stuff. Right. And there was even like an American Idol during the COVID, there was like this American Idol equivalent show. And it wasn't it, it was basically people not performing themselves. They'd sing. And do a mic, but not in front of people. What would perform in front of people was an avatar that they designed, a virtual them that expresses their true self because they, you know, for whatever reason, didn't like how they looked or something. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, I think there's an, different efforts on a societal level to manipulate and use certain things uh in in certain um insecurities or, or dysphorias that have been around you know long before now uh to push people in, into this you know world that they're hoping to create at the end of the day
0: mm-hmm. yeah and they're using social media to get these messages out there and people are addicted to it And that's the other weird thing when it comes to like smartphones and social media yeah like the data's out there it's it very obviously affecting the mental health of young people particularly More specifically, young girls.
1: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I was reading this interesting article in Unheard that was sort of talking about the anorexia phenomena in the 90s and its similarities to uh, the prominence of transgenderism in in the past 10 years, uh, how it being sort of disproportionate among like teenage biological females Um, and sort of the... I would definitely recommend people read it, because it definitely did have some insights that I thought were kind of interesting in terms of like, why this might be pushed and why it might have been so successful. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a major effort to uh, totally destroy today's young people. And it really shouldn't be surprising um, when you consider, you know, all the revelations, right, about just how messed up Hollywood is, um, you know, the elite circles are and how they control our media, our education system and all sorts of stuff. So over time, you know, they're obviously going, all those things are going to have a major impact on young people yeah and i think the smartphone is a big part of that because you're allowing kids to sort of access uh these worlds and their parents have no idea what's going on there and what's happening and don't know right
0: yeah what was it the game roblox people it's like a popular children's game and they thought they were playing with other kids but they were really playing with adults who are grooming them and parents are completely unaware.
1: yeah right right um so you know that's part of it but you know even away from games like that i'll just give an example so um uh, my ex had an older son who uh when we lived together uh he was probably like eight or nine and at his school there were kids with their own phones this is here in chile right um and they were just at recess just looking at like really intense sadistic porn And so, like, you think about when we were kids and, like, guys, you know, that age are like, ooh, I want to look at boobies. And they pick up, like, Maxim or Playboy and they, like, hide it under their mattress and stuff, right? Yeah. So, these kids with no, like, you know, parental, no need to hide anything because it's all on a phone and they can access more of it than ever, right? Super fast and basically constantly stimulate themselves with this content that they, you know, in previous eras didn't have access to.
0: Yeah. And especially at that age when the brain's still forming, like what kind of long lasting effects does that have? And then when you. Yeah. And it's going to impact
1: how they view intimacy later on in life, how they view relationships, how they view women. And there's a flip side to that, too, you know, with how all these all all this type of technology affects women and girls. Um, So, again, you know, I think a lot of people. Uh, well here, let me circle this back to stuff we were talking about earlier. Sergey Brin, the co-founder of Google is subpoenaed as part of a major sex trafficking investigation into Jeffrey Epstein and JP Morgan chase. No, one's talked about that. Google what controls YouTube, uh, controls search, uh, controls the Android operating system on smartphones. Um, okay that's nuts. Why is there no coverage of that? But there is coverage of, uh, you know, Noam Chomsky, um, and, uh, some of these other names that have come out that are newer. And I'm not sure if you caught Um, this story
0: a few years ago, but going back to like Android, Google Android team, there was like the higher ups at the Android team were running like a sex slave operation that became public.
1: Wow. No, I didn't know that. But I can't really say I'm surprised. And then at the same time, Google is pushing for a lot of this transhumanist stuff, too. You have people like Ray Kurzweil, who in the metaverse wants to be a promiscuous woman named like Rosie or something, by the way. Um, (laughs) Did not know that. It's real. Yeah, go look it up. It's real. Um, Yeah, You know, are, are the people sort of that have planned a lot of Google's future trage- uh, trajectory. And then you have Regina Dugan, who used to be in charge of Google's advanced projects team and also the top, the, the equivalent of that at Facebook, and has now been tapped by the Wellcome Trust, sort of the British equivalent of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to basically create transhumanist toddlers. Yeah. And no one cares at yeah. Welcome Leap. She's a former director of DARPA, by the way. It's
0: a very small circle very small circle.
1: It's creepy. Well, again, DARPA, and uh, the military have been a long standing driver of intelli- artificial intelligence research going back to its inception, you know, in the 50s and 60s and stuff. Yeah. And what do they want it for? Oh, and then again, another one of these guys, that has been subpoenaed along with Sergey Brin, that's not getting any coverage is this guy named Mike Orvitz, who's a former president of the Walt Disney company. Right? And when he was president of Walt Disney, um, the guy in charge of the Imagineering department was this guy named Brand Farron. And at the same time, he was uh, in that role at Disney. Bran Farron um, was also advising military and intelligence in the United States. He was like on the Army Science Board, involved with a lot of really weird stuff. And he brought to the Imagineering Department Danny Hillis and Marvin Minsky, who uh, before that had run this uh, supercomputer firm, uh, super closely tied to DARPA, called Thinking Machines, that wanted to create an artificial general intelligence. And, uh, at that point, Minsky and Hillis were very tied up with Epstein. Yeah.
0: They so have Google. What
1: are all these guys doing there at Disney?
0: Right. And like, these are like, you mentioned <clears> with Google, particularly YouTube, Android search own that Disney, obviously the most popular, uh, media company focused on children's entertainment. Like what, what are they seeing yeah. through these avenues?
1: Um, And I mean, think about the people that run these Hollywood studios. Like um, this morning, uh, there was this clip circulating by this child actor, Matthew Lawrence. And he was saying, yeah, so my agency fired me because my agency sent me to the hotel room of a prominent Oscar winning director who asked me to take my clothes off so he could take polaroids off of me and told me to do x y and z presumably sexual activities and if he did so he'd be the next marvel superhero
0: i saw that clip extremely
1: yeah and he said not to he said he didn't do it and then his agency fired him (laughs) okay so now i'm really wondering about all these actors that are uh marvel superheroes now
0: (laughs) well one of them's great like wasn't that ezra klein guy like literally didn't he murder somebody or something like that up in new york or? oh
1: did he i don't know i don't i've never even seen a single avenger movie so but, i don't know that's the other thing Sorry. like
0: for all these uh defectors in hollywood uh, i saw that clip too i wish you would have named the name like why can't they
1: well the he might be concerned and yeah. i i probably wouldn't blame him um yeah but keep in mind too all those marvel movies have major contracts with the military like iron man i mean this is all uh you
0: yeah, know i mean there was yeah public like, record propaganda against China and stuff like that. or
1: Well, not just that, but like they, there's, there's like contracts signed between the Marvel movies and um, the military. I would argue that's how Elon Musk got all those cameos in Iron Man and why they modeled Tony Stark after him. Cause he was a military contractor at the time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this is how we make people think that Elon Musk is a real life superhero. So when he takes over Twitter and makes a brain chip, people will be like, yeehaw. He's, he's Tony Stark. I love that guy. <laughs>
0: you think the Marvel movies are the form of propaganda to light nudge people to like normalize the weapon?
1: Yeah, really? I, I would suspect so. I am I, I haven't really paid attention to their plot lines and stuff, but um, why would the military be so interested in having contracts so that they could unduly influence the direction of those films and what's showcased and the plot lines and all of that? Yeah. <sighs>
0: It's also yeah. creepy. Again, I'm optimistic though. I think we're gonna win. I think people are getting fed up. Particularly the bank. Well, group. I think
1: people are getting fed up, and I do I I mean, I think I think we are gonna win too. Again, and I've said this a few times. What concerns me is how much damage do the these w- these guys do in the interim before they're stopped.
0: Yeah. I mean they're and that
1: question is really how much damage do we let them do? Yeah. Before we stop them.
0: Yeah. Dot Bitcoin, get this number to go up. And you'll be surprised that uh, the power you'll be able to wield against this system. That's what I truly yeah, believe. Yeah, but,
1: well, so I'll be at the Bitcoin conference in a couple of weeks. You will be there as well. And I'm going to be giving a talk. And one of my talks is going to be about the WEF partnership against cybercrime, which includes the FBI and Department of Justice and uh, Bank of America, a lot of the big banks. And how in their policy papers, by the way, the partnership itself is run by a, a career spy that's heartening, isn't it? Um, it? Their policy papers say that not just is using Bitcoin as currency, a threat and driver of cybercrime, but Bitcoin having value is a driver of cybercrime. These guys want to drive the value of Bitcoin to zero. Oh, yeah. And that's the FBI and DOJ.
0: Yeah, they certainly do.
1: <laughs> that's mental. Yeah, I think people should start paying attention to this stuff.
0: I do as well. Especially,
1: you know, Bitcoiners, because it's not just like, oh, Gary Gensler and this and that and the regulations coming and all that. People like, you know, that are the people backing Elizabeth Warren and stuff in these efforts want the value of of BTC to hit zero or near zero.
0: No, we talked about it on your podcast with Michael, but the attack, particularly on Silvergate and Signature with their... Sen and Cignette, uh protocols allowed the the Bitcoin exchanges to to send money between each other over the weekend, 24-7, 365, um, was an overt attack on, attack on the industry. And I've talked to many people mm-hmm. who are very intimately connected with what's going on behind the scenes with the banking situation with Bitcoin companies. And it is an overt attack where they're trying to cut us at the knees via the US dollar on yeah. our
1: Mm-hmm yeah just gotta try and outsmart them i guess um but again you know just gotta have a realistic view of of what they plan to do right yeah. so you can try and be one step ahead at and the I know, end of the day you know and i
0: know we've talked about this before but it's extremely important to make fun of these people it, it ridicule them
1: <laughs> it's not I mean, hard though i mean they're not exactly I mean,
0: like it, and that's the other thing about like 2023 with the internet and communications a double-edged sword can be extremely addicting can lead you down a wrong path but it all could also be used as a tool to ridicule these despots and me out meme them basically like prove how hypocritical and insane they are
1: yeah yeah but at the same time a lot of the mean lords fall for people like Elon Musk and stuff you know and that's kind of disheartening uh, to me, because, you know, for people that were like, oh, free speech Twitter, uh, it's come out now that he is approving more government takedown requests than pre Elon Musk Twitter. So,
0: yeah, and it's another like limited hangout. Did you think hangout? the military
1: contractor was going to do anything besides that? Yeah. Uh, I didn't.
0: It's almost like a li- another limited hangout, too, where they're putting like the disclaimer, like they fact checked Biden yesterday with like some uh, about uh, U.S. Added defaulting on its debt. Yeah, adding context. Yeah. It's like these little drips of yeah, we're we're free speech. And then, like you mentioned, behind the scenes, like, oh, well, actually, we will abide with these, these government mandates.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys have, like, you know, a public persona, and then privately they do other stuff. And, I mean, most of these guys are like that. Yeah. I think, at least. Yeah. You know, like Peter Thiel, right? One day he says he's a Bitcoin maxi and speaks at the Bitcoin conference, and then he's on stage with, you know, CIA'd up, Mike Pompeo saying it's a financial weapon from China. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound like a Bitcoin maximalist to me.
0: No, no. <laughs> yeah. That's a, they're very good at creating alternative narratives and confusing people. And that's again, another thing yeah. that we've been beating the drum on for many episodes, not only on this show, but your show is people have to develop the confidence to believe in themselves and not, feel forced to yeah. look up to the Peter Thiel's of the world, the Joe Biden's of the world, the Jenny Ellen's Jerome Powell's pals, Jamie Diamonds to tell them what to do you have. Well,
1: people like to look for saviors, you know what yeah. I mean? And no one wants to save themselves, no. right? So like that's going on with this Noam Chomsky stuff, like a bunch of people, like Noam Chomsky for certain people on the left became like a demigod, right? Like, a a can do no wrong figure. And he's definitely very different now in his later years than he was in his younger years. I mean, why else would he have been like, send send the unvaccinated to camps? (laughs) Right? I mean, okay, so if you're an anti-imperialist and, you know, anarchist, and you're going to advocate sending one side of a polarized debate, the side you don't agree with, to camps okay, you're, you're not an anarchist anymore. (laughs) Um, and that doesn't sound like, you know, the stuff that people think he stand for, but I mean, that was fine, but you know, yeah, the for- Epstein meetings, the response to that is all a bit weird. And again, this is not saying like, oh, Chomsky uh, is all bad, whatever. I mean, I personally uh, dislike him for various reasons, including his gatekeeping on the role of the Fed and creating financial crises, for example, um, on JFK, on 9-11, and also on Epstein's ties to intelligence, which he said were a conspiracy theory before these recent revelations. So, uh-oh. Um, that's interesting that the, that these revelations have sort of, maybe he had a reason for not wanting to pursue that. I don't know. So, um, sorry, I sort of lost my train of thought. Well, but basically Chomsky, and, oh, sorry.
0: I was just going to say, bring back the anti-war free sh- free speech absolutist Chomsky like if you just stuck with that
1: yeah that'd be nice but again we shouldn't be deifying these public figures because when these guys get like really big you know and they're Mm -hmm. tied up with all these guys and you know they're at this these establishment centers or they're you know military and intelligence contractors like Thiel and Musk you should not be deifying people um in general And, and I think it's part of this problem that is like very culturally uh, entrenched not just in the united states but a lot of other countries where we look for political saviors oh we just need to find the right leader who will lead us out of this mess and this one guy will fix everything that's Trump's not that's a, Trump's not a it. perfect
0: example right?
1: totally but i mean there's examples all over the place and throughout history and people just desperate for you know if only we could get this guy in the white house and stuff you know anyone they hear on youtube or wherever like say something that's really true they'll be like name of that person 2024 you know in the comments like this isn't that that's not how this this should be working right so many people are so desperate to just not have to do any work to get out of this you know
0: yeah it's uh i'm
1: gonna give that guy a thumbs up and i'm gonna share his thing and i'm gonna click a couple times and i've done what i needed to do
0: Nobody's going to save it, you. No. You can only save yourself.
1: No, exactly. And that was the American ethos for like a couple centuries. And we got away from that. And uh, I think we should get back to that.
0: Yeah. We need to get back to it, people. Well, I think the work that you're doing is helping us get back to that.
1: I think. well thanks.
0: I'm happy that I'm going to see you in person in a couple weeks in Miami. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah not so not, not not i'm from florida i'm not really into florida but I'll, I'll go for bitcoin magazine and to hang out with people like you yeah. uh and talk to people about some stuff um that i think is important you know but uh woof i'm, miami. Not, big,
0: uh, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of miami either i uh love the conference uh not a big fan of the city yeah it's actually pretty, kind of in the same boat then it's pretty emblematic of the uh the materialist culture that, um, we've been opining on this whole episode.
1: Yeah. Most definitely.
0: (laughs) Um, Hey, this has been great. Uh, thank you again for the work you're doing for sticking the needle in the eye of these people. Um, Yeah.
1: That's uh, what I like to do, or at least feel like I'm doing. I make my best attempt at doing that. That's actually how I think of it in my head. I'm like, well, if you're going to try and destroy everything around me, I might as well try and stick. (laughs) you. Yeah. you
0: know? And I must mention the site, the design upgrades have been incredible. Your site is one of the most aesthetically pleasing, uh, independent journal oh, sites thanks. out there. I and appreciate that. If you need help, if your l- readers are getting, uh, asked to provide biometric data to their banks to pay you, Ooh. we have, we have the Bitcoin paywall. If you want to implement on your site, cause you use this too. True. We
1: mm-hmm. can get you
0: hooked up with that. Oh, you, cool. you don't have to, uh, you don't have to give Santander your uh, your eyeball scan. You can uh, pay in Bitcoin. Maybe.
1: Yeah, no. Well, I don't paywall stuff, but I do have people that donate to the site. And so my work is entirely supported by like small donors that donate through the website.
0: Oh, and you have a beta so, space server set up. So.
1: And, and I have that. So I'd probably just keep that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not into paywalling stuff. I mean, I I monetize my podcast a little bit, but I always release it. Yeah, i take down the paywall after like three days and that's the only thing i paywall yeah. not really into paywalling
0: so. that's, uh i'm about to go write a, a newsletter it's paywalled i'm experimenting with it too <laughs> to see what's the better
1: model. <laughs> no i mean it's fine it just depends on you right i just um you know i want as many people to read my stuff as as possible so yeah. that's sort of you know if there's a paywall you're gonna get less eyes on it and yeah. i care more about that than i care about you know raking it in personally yeah. so yeah but no, I agree. I, that's my model. And I write different stuff than you write, you know? So. Uh,
0: no, I agree. I've been experimenting with like for eight months now. And I do think I like that model better. Um, or it's just like give it out. Hey, it, everyone
1: emotions. has different, you know, not everyone's like, you know, projects in, in journalism are the same, you know? So yeah. if it works for you, it works for you.
0: Yeah. What, uh, what should we leave the freaks with?
1: Um, man, well, I wish I had something more coherent and awesome to say, but getting woken up in the middle of the night by an earthquake may have broken my brain a little bit today. But, um, you know, basically I think the most important thing uh, we've talked about it many times, it's time to get uh, out of the armchair and into the real world and off the screen and start building something. Um, you know, I guess I, you know, people like you and me, Marty, and other people that talk about the stuff we're sort of like, you know, to use, I guess, a biblical example everyone knows, right? Noah's Ark, right? Noah tried to tell everyone the flood was coming. People were like, you were crazy, right? So even if you're like listening to Noah, right, and the people that are telling you the flood is coming, uh, you got to do something about it, right? And I'm not saying get on my Ark, right? I'm saying build your own Ark. I like that. And have your community build an Ark and get on it yeah like I
0: said yeah only you can save yourself Shit's
1: gonna get real yeah but it doesn't have to be just you right team up with your best friend team up with a group of families that you know and trust and build something yeah exit and build now is the time
0: now is the time and it's never been easier to do it with the technology we have with the uh, information we can share it's uh now
1: is really the time to do it before they pull the plug on the internet and demand a digital id to get on it and it's super censored i mean the internet once they pull the plug on the internet like that it's not going to be the same the internet is now just letting people know like don't don't give up your freedom to access that thing because it's going to be the most sanitized internet around because there's no anonymity anymore so you can't shit post you can't like meme you can't talk shit (laughs) So all that stuff will be gone. Right. And it'll basically just be all chat GPT generated websites anyway. So what's the point?
0: (laughs) That sounds terrible. I don't, I don't want to participate in that internet.
1: No, I don't either. So it's time to build something new. And that doesn't mean you have to like build something new the Luddite way. Right. It's different for everyone.
0: Yeah. We've got a um, chat offline about Noster. I'm not sure if that's been on your radar, but that's it has
1: but yeah, I I have not had enough time to really check it out but it is definitely something I would I would like to get into because as far as you know I'd really I can't wait until I've been waiting until Twitter censors me and I'm just like why has it not happened yet <laughs> you know cuz I'm I I like rarely use it anymore I hate social media. I can't stand it. So, um, and honestly, I think so much of it's fake. I mean, if you consider all this chat GPT stuff and the same parent company, you know, Elon Musk and Elon Musk owns Twitter, like how many bots are on there now, dude? I mean, we don't know. There was never any visibility into that, but we know Twitter even before Musk bought it had a major bot problem and the military. Has poured millions of dollars, and per the Air Force, trying to use social media to control people like drones. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's a total psyop playland for these guys, and that's why I think using other platforms it, is important. And you know, Noster seems really promising because it's not like some of these other platforms that try and be just like Twitter, but not yeah. Twitter. Well, the beauty you of know? it
0: is it's not a platform at all. It's a protocol. You yeah, can build it's a protocol. Right. In. So, um,
1: right. So I think that's definitely more promising and I'd like to get into it. But again, I, uh, I'm really short on time cause I'm trying to like, you know, make content for why I'm in Miami and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sort of doubling my workload and I have tiny people who take up a lot of time as tiny people tend to do. Take up a lot of time. Um, yeah, they do. Hey, but they're, they're fun. It's, it's um, good time.
0: It's good time. I'm happy they take it up. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah uh, exactly. and master's
0: nostrils a little clunky right now too so it's probably not the best time to uh
1: mm, to jump in. but i'm sure you know that kind of stuff you know it, it came out not that long ago right so you know a lot of this stuff takes time <sighs> to you know fix itself even yeah. itself out
0: it's happening though um all right i can't mm-hmm. wait to see you in miami
1: yeah super see you soon marty
0: all right that's all we got today freaks peace and love